This episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Bet $50 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by Sleeper. You already play fantasy on Sleeper, but now you can win cold, hard cash with their over-under game. Just head to sleeper.com slash SGP on your phone or join the SGPN group and Sleeper automatically match your first deposit up to $100. That's sleeper.com slash SGP. And make sure to download the SGPN app, your home for all of our free picks and podcasts. And welcome back to the second episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast here with the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Rochelle, joined by my co-host, Sam Jacob. We're going to cover some Wimbledon action. We already had a show right before the beginning of the tournament. Now we're about to approach round four. So we're going to end up recapping how the first three rounds have gone just in general, some of our takeaways, and talk about what we expect to see moving forward. But first of all, Sam, how's it going with you? What's your impressions of the tournament so far? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Can't complain. Uh, a lot of it's uh, standard. I mean, you have a couple of different wild cards in there right now, but the big news coming out of Wimbledon, I guess, after the first round or even before the first round, is Berrettini not playing because of COVID. And Chilich. Berrettini and Chilich, right? Yeah. Both of them not playing. So, you know, that shakes up the field a little bit because, uh, you know, Berrettini's the second guy up. He's the second best in the world right now on grass. So without him, uh, you you really have wild cards in there now. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. I know when we gave out our thoughts for the actual quarters, I know both of us liked Berrettini. I think you liked him more than I did, just based on the value at around minus 110. However, of course, that got voided because of the fact that he did not even play a match in the tournament. As for uh, Chilich, once again, that was a bit unfortunate. He was in Nadal's region, which ended up not mattering. And to go through some other upsets, I feel like the main shocker up to this point was Herkaz losing in five sets to Davidovich Fakina. That was a crazy match, definitely the craziest match of the actual tournament. Davidovich mm-hmm. Fakina was up two sets to nothing, serving for the match at 5-4, up 40 love, and then ended up losing the game, lost the set, lost the next set, and then won in a fifth set tiebreaker, which was absolutely crazy. Would have been one of the biggest choke jobs of all time, but he held on, and as a result, you've had absolute just bedlam in that quarter because it's now a free-for-all where you're looking at the likes of Tiafo and Tommy Paul and these other guys who pretty much had no shot going into the tournament to have a serious shot to make the semis. So I feel like we're going to start off going through the overall quarters. But before we do that, besides the actual takeaway that you have from the COVID outbreaks, which of course are the main story involving the elimination of two sudden contenders for the actual Wimbledon title, any other takeaways in terms of the top, top players, anybody that's impressed you, that's disappointed you up to this point? Because for me, I think it's Nadal. He's looked really good. And I know that, of course, nobody's surprised that Nadal was still playing after he killed Sonigo today. But following the leg issues and the lack of, Wim- of uh, Wimbledon warm-up matches, I've been very impressed that he's actually looked very comfortable. I know Barankas took a set off of him, but he was already up two sets to nothing at that point. Nadal has been my main story so far. We were worried about the health, worried about him potentially retiring or withdrawing from the event. 
and now he's moving on to the fourth round. Is there anybody? Is there anybody that's really jumped off the page for you that you've either been impressed with or extremely disappointed with up to this point? Uh, well, uh, my main guy. I mean, Kyrgios is playing lights out. He hasn't been broken in the past two two matches. Been serving up bombs, but you know he he's capable of doing that. But I think the person that's impressed me the most is Alcaraz at the moment. Uh, you know, he's really a clay court guy, but he's really transitioning over to grass pretty well at the moment. And you know, he's probably in line to pe- compete in the quarterfinal against Djokovic. Uh, so yeah, he's doing he's doing very well for himself. Well, yeah, and to bring that up, now we're going to transition a little bit because Alcaraz has been amazing. He's taking on Sinner in the fourth round for the rights to most likely play Djokovic because Djokovic is playing against uh, Van Rithoven and he's about minus 2,500. So Djokovic should, keyword should, win the match based on the odds there. But to go through the actual quarters and the updated prices, starting off with the uh, first quarter, you got Djokovic who went from around minus 300 to now minus 500. Alcaraz is plus 400. Sinner is 16 to 1. And then Rithoven is around 20 to 1. I know both of us like Djokovic to win the tournament. Uh, I know after the first overall round against Kwan, he's been pretty much unstoppable. I mean, nobody's had a chance against him. He's dominated in every set he's been in since. Do you think there's value with anybody else? Because Alcaraz is, of course, the main threat with only four people left. Sinner at 16 to 1, do you think that's fair? Or do you think it should be a little bit lower? No, I think uh, 16 to 1 is fair. In terms of value, though, for any other player here, I don't think there's any. Uh, nobody's on Djokovic's level. Uh, Djokovic on grass, statistically, when you're talking matches and percentage, win percentage, that's his best surface. I mean, I know, I know it's, you know, he doesn't have the most titles on grass because there's only one of them a year, but he's 85% win rate on grass. I don't think anyone can really compete with him. I think he's going to go through this tournament and be the Wimbledon champion again. Well, I guess the one thing I would ask for you then is if you were going to take a swing with Alcaraz, do you think that you should do it now? Or do you think that Alcaraz could potentially be a bigger underdog than plus 400 against Djokovic in the quarters? I'm assuming, assuming that Djokovic and Alcaraz win their fourth round matches what do you think Djokovic would be laying against Alcaraz in a quarterfinal matchup hypothetically would he be minus 700 would he be minus 500 where do you think that line would actually be so the issue the issue with comparing the quarter and let's just say parlaying the two money lines on new matches is the juice so Djokovic could be I don't know minus 400 minus 450 type it depends on the juice that they give you on the book that makes Alcaraz worth it or not if they're giving you a minus 450 on Djokovic and plus 375 on Alcaraz then on that money line for that match then clearly the quarter I mean, the parlaying the two money lines is better than the plus 400 quarter. But if they have him, Djokovic minus 450 and Alcaraz at plus 300, uh, so you got to do a little calculation over there to see. But I think it'd be almost even to what the first quarter uh, odds are at the moment. Uh, when it comes to the match, I think minus 
500 even on that match, I think I think is fair. Or minus 475, I'll give him a little bit because he still has to play Ruchtav in, in this round. Uh, so I think it should be around the minus 475 range. Okay, that's fair. Now, I guess the question now moving on to the other quarters, both of us are in agreement that even though Alcaraz has been very good up to this point, you look at the level of competition, he demolished Ott, which was really impressive. I thought Ott would potentially take a set off of him, or Ott, I should say. But I still think Djokovic is, of course, the best player on the surface. So it might go four, might go five. But I do think Djokovic should end up coming out of the quarter, and that's what we thought going in. So looking at the second quarter, this is where we thought it might get a little bit chaotic. You have Cam Nori, you have Goffin, you have Tiafo, and you have Tommy Paul. You know that this is really up for grabs when the biggest long shot, so to speak, remaining is Tommy Paul at plus 350. So every other quarter has at least a 16-to-1 shot. Quarter two has plus 350 as the longest shot. Of course, that is the Herkaz region where he was upset in the first round. I know you personally took a spin on one of the Americans. I'll let you talk about that in a second. Uh, going into this quarter, I said I thought the value was with Nori at around 8 or 9-1. to one. But as a whole, where do you think the best bet should be or do you think you're better off just taking it one round at a time because of how open this actual region is? Uh, I think it depends on what odds you get. Like you said, Tommy Paul plus 350. Uh, what I think is the best bet here is Tommy Paul. I think no matter who wins in the Cameron Nori-Tommy Paul match, they're going to win this quarter against Tiafo Goffin. Of course, Tiafo has the ability to go nuts sometimes, but I would say in if you take 100 different ma- 100 matches and you average it out, those two guys, Cameron Nori and Tommy Paul, are going to win most of those times, at least in my opinion, 75% of the times in those match in that match and you also never know if Goffin can win this match they're both it's a coin flip at minus 110 I believe uh, versus Tiafo uh, so I think Tommy Paul really has the value here uh, most likely with Cameron Norrie at plus 140 is fair would I take it no I mean, I think Tommy Paul versus Cameron Norrie is really a coin flip too. Tommy Paul has been playing very well. His his strokes have been very good. Uh, another level than I've seen him play, really. He has not uh, dropped a set for the record. Yeah, he, he's been rallying very, very well also. Tommy Paul or Cameron Norrie? Uh, Tommy Paul has not dropped a set. He didn't, he didn't drop a set to Opelka? No. Uh, he didn't play Opelka. Right. Opelka lost to Van Rithov. Okay, so I'm, I'm mixing them up. That's right. All yeah, right. but Tom, yeah. Tommy Paul, to go through, he beat Verdasco, who's basically in a retirement tour, beat Manorino, who's underrated on grass, and he dominated Vesely. Vesely had a very nice win mm-hmm. against Davidovich Fakina in another five-set tiebreaker, 6-3, 6-2, 6-2. So, yeah, Paul's looked really good. Nori dominated after the first set against Johnson. Final two sets, he lost one game combined, but he did go five sets against uh, Munar. So you could wonder if Nori is vulnerable. If you want to go through the head-to-head there, it's tied 2-2. Three of the four matches have gone the length. So Paul has given Nori some problems in the past. They're tied 2-2. But you think that there's still value on Paul, or do you think all the value is gone at this point? I mean, you want, if you compare it to earlier in the earlier on in the tournament, obviously you would have gotten more value. But uh, I still think right now, if you could get a plus three fifty, plus four hundred, that's pretty good value on Paul. I think it's a coin flip match, and I think the next match should go to either Tommy Paul or Cameron Nori. So uh, if you do any, if you do the parlay calculator there, plus three fifty, plus four hundred, it's not not a bad deal. 
And I'm going to ask you just to end up the quarter. We're going to take a break in a second. Which player in that second quarter do you trust more, Golfin or Tiafa? That's tough. That's very really tough. tough. It's very tough. Golfin, we have seen him play well in, on clay uh, recently. He only played one match, I believe, on grass, and that was against Medvedev. So you can't really knock him for losing that match. Uh, Tiafo though is so volatile it's unreal and he'll throw a set 6-0 so I would never lay a, like a spread on him never bet a spread on Tiafo. he did a great was, job against Bublik though I thought he did a great job yeah, he did do well but he won two breakers he was able to yeah. to win both those breakers at seven uh, the seven six breakers uh, he lost the first set but then won three straight but when it comes to who do I trust more, probably Gofin. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, he's more consistent, but Tiafo, he has the levels that uh, he could reach that are beyond Gofin's talent, but also he has a f- massive floor. Yeah, I think Tiafo is definitely the most volatile out of all four. Nori, we know, doesn't exactly have much firepower, but he's extremely consistent. Tommy Paul is kind of in the same boat. I think Nori's, of course, more consistent, which is why he's a top 12 player in the world. But Paul has looked like a ranked caliber player in this tournament. We know Goffin has been a constant member of the top 25 for the last couple of years. He really fell off a cliff to start 2022, but he's got himself back on track. And Tiafo, we know, has ranked potential, but we know that his biggest enemy is himself half the time because if things go poorly, they tend to snowball. And I do feel like that's why he was able to get over the top against Bublik because Bublik's kind of the same way. And when Bublik was down two sets to one, he had a full service game where he served underhand, which kind of just sums up <laughs> Bublik's entire career right there. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Tiafo is the least trusted person in that group. But he's been good up to this point, and that's really been true of the Americans. The Americans have been really good in this tournament. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to win uh, the actual event, but it is a good sign that not just Isner or Query, who made the semis in the past of Wimbledon, but some of the younger guys have actually been really good in this tournament up to this point. But before we get into the third quarter and the fourth quarter breakdown, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor. Make sure to get down on the Wins Bet $50 to win $200 promotion, where a $50 bet qualifies you for up to $200 in free bets. Bet $500 on sports or casino before July 31st, and you get entered for a shot to win the ultimate fantasy football draft experience at Encore Beach Club, including a two-night stay at Wynn Resorts for you and your entire league. Plus, you have a chance to party with DJ Diesel. If you bet $100 on NBA or casino, you are entered into a prize drawing to attend a DJ Diesel, who is Shaq, of course, performance at Encore Beach Club at night, as well as a meet and greet with DJ Diesel this summer. Plus, if you also bet $100 from Thursday to Sunday on the U.S. Open, you will earn an entry into a prize drawing where the winner and a guest will receive a complimentary round of golf at Wynn Golf Club and a two-night stay at Wynn Las Vegas. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to get started. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. 
Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I personally use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now there's a new way to make money on there with their new over-under game. It's very simple. First in any sport, pick two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. For example, the number of points in a basketball game or the hits in a baseball game. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money that you put in. The main reason why I'm excited about the over-under contest is because of the fact that it's the only app where you can join your buddies' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. On your mobile phone, join our listener group on Sleeper at sleeper.com SGP, and Sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. That's right, join our squad and get the 100% deposit match at sleeper.com slash SGP. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Welcome back, everyone, with the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Now, we're going to tr- uh, continue talking about the third quarter. We just went through the first and second quarters here. Third quarter is the fun one. We had the Kyrgios and Tsitsipas circus match yesterday, where both players also roasted each other in the postgame presser. Uh, Tsitsipas called Kyrgios a bully, and Kyrgios said that he's well-liked by everybody and nobody likes Tsitsipas, which I thought was pretty funny in the post-game presser. First of all, any takeaways from that particular match? Because I feel like that is definitely the hot topic of the, of the third round was what happened yesterday and all of the shenanigans, Kyrgios having tantrums, Tsitsipas trying to slam the ball at Kyrgios' head. There were a lot of moments in that match overall, but did you have any takeaways in particular, and do you believe that based on what we saw against Tsitsipas, Kyrgios is worthy of being around minus 175? Uh, I think he's definitely worthy of being minus 175 here. I think he's easily the best player in the field. He hasn't dropped this. Uh, he hasn't gotten broken in the past two matches. Uh, he's he's been serving up bombs. He's he's been acing every single person. Uh, Tsitsipas actually went bigger than him today on uh, on the aces, but Kyrgios was way more consistent with it. Um, He's the best player here at this point. He's extremely volatile, just like we've talked about in the past. And um, his outside antics ring true. I'm I'm tending to believe Tsitsipas way more than Kyrgios in any type of situation. So you have Tsitsipas telling me anything and Kyrgios telling me anything. I'm going with Tsitsipas. Doesn't matter what the situation is. For the record, though, um, Tsitsipas has had issues in the past, mostly with mid-match coaching and really long bathroom breaks after losing sets. So Tsitsipas is not innocent to any degree, and tennis fans who have followed the last couple of years know that Tsitsipas has been a little bit shady at times. But Kyrgios, with tantrums, I mean, that's been the story of his career, has it not? Uh, No, absolutely. He'll throw a tantrum about anything. I think that's just the way that he's trying to get momentum on his side or something, maybe get an extra break. Maybe it makes him feel good to just scream at the ref real quick, uh, even though he has no arguments. I've seen him, uh, I think it was in the French, or yeah, that he was complaining 
um, that he that the fans are screaming in the middle of the point. So oh, he's he'll... done everything. He's chucked water bottles at the chair umpire's chair. He's yelled at ball people. He's chucked chairs onto the court. He's done a lot over the years. Right. So if you're taking two sides of the story, you're really trying to figure out who to believe. Uh, I'm going Tizzy Pass. If Tizzy Pass tells me this ice cream flavor, this chocolate ice cream flavor is garbage, Kyrgios is telling me that I should try it, I'll immediately throw it in the garbage. I'm not trying that ice cream flavor. Uh, he's just not a trustworthy guy, in my opinion, finds any way to complain. But he, he was the winner in this match, and he did play very well. And I think he has a really good chance to uh, make the best run of his career in this tournament. Now, once again, you're assuming that he does not totally implode at some point during the course of the next couple of rounds. The reason why I bring it up is because I want to talk about value. Of course, Kyrgios, people are going to look at and say, well, he can't be broken. He's a great server. He should win the tournament. Or he should win the uh, quarter, I should say, and make the semis. I'm going to actually go with the American. I'm going to go with his opponent in this spot. I like Nakashima at plus 650. I watched him against Shapo. We know Shapo has made deep runs here in the past, and I really thought that Nakashima looked good. And Nakashima's a guy who's been serving well. We know that he can move well for a guy who is a little bit taller, but you look at his age, and he's only 20 years old, so he definitely has a lot of energy at this stage in his career. But Nakashima's making the furthest run of his career in pretty much any Grand Slam event. And you look at his results so far, he ended up winning the first round in four, beat Chapo in four, and then dominated against Gallon in the third round. He was gifted Gallon because Batista Agut ended up withdrawing from the tournament. So Gallon got a, an immediate free entry into the third round. But I'm going to go Nakashima. I think he's got a great shot here. I know that he's a good enough server to actually compete with Kyrgios for some breakers. And unlike Kyrgios, I think Nakashima is extremely reliable. And I do believe that just mentally, I think that Nakashima can be sturdy enough to make Kyrgios uncomfortable and to force him into some potential self-destructing tendencies. So if you want to talk about value, I'm not laying minus 175 with a head case. I just can't do it. I just don't see any value there. Garen's not a grass court player, so I'm not going to focus on him at 20 to 1. I think that's a waste of money. But I do think that Diminu that Diminuar should end up beating Garen. I think Nakashima's live. And I think if you want to talk about some underdog plays, you could find Nakashima around plus 250, plus 300. I think it's a great match to fade Kyrgios after he beats a top five player. There was chaos all over the court. There's a lot of conversation about his off-court antics and everything like that. It seems like a very good spot to sell high on Kyrgios and take a young up-and-coming player that can give Kyrgios some problems. What do you think? Or do you just think Kyrgios rolls? I think he feeds on the antics, Kyrgios. I think the more things that come at him with these off-court battles is better for him. I think he's the one, he's excited, he gets excited by it, he feeds off of it. The only thing, I, the biggest competitor or opponent that I think he has that's going to screw with his head is Rafa. Once he gets to, if he gets to that point where he gets to has to play Rafa, it's a big, big problem for him. Because Rafa is the kind of guy that he'll take his time. The ref will allow him to take his time, and that will become really, really, really bothersome for Kyrgios at some point in the match. Hundred uh, percent. So I don't know if he'll be able to get through it. I think it all depends on who comes out of that fourth quarter. If Fritz comes out of that fourth quarter, I think uh, Kyrgios has a good shot to do uh, what he's never done before and make a final of a Grand Slam. 
yeah, I think that's definitely possible, but I just think Nakashima is still being undervalued, and I think that he's got a shot to force some breakers. And if you're going to go with breakers, if you're going to give me three to one on a guy and you're expecting two breakers, maybe three, I think it might be worth a shot. Maybe on the spread, maybe you could keep the match close. We'll see there. I expect whoever wins that Kyrgios-Nakashima match to play Dimenauer. I don't think Garen has a shot, but that's just my opinion. Now, moving on to the fourth quarter, you have Nadal, who's still still hanging in there at minus 225. You have Fritz at plus 250. You have Van der Schlup, who I feel like nobody's talking about at 9-1. to one. And you have Kubler, who's been very solid. The other Australian who's made a deep run up to this point. Beat Sock in a very nice three uh, five-set match there. Came from two sets to one down yesterday. And he's at 16-1. to one. Now, before the tournament, my pick in this region was Fritz. And I got him at 12-1. to one. He's down to plus 250. I'm not sure he's going to beat Nadal. But I'm in a decent hedging spot if I need it. Now, to go through the actual matchups in itself for the upcoming fourth round. Do you think there's any value on somebody besides Nadal? Because at this point, I think Fritz doesn't have much value because you could have got 12 to 1. Now it's plus 250. I don't think there's much value there. Do you think that either Vandeschlup or Fritz or Kubler, first of all, are actually going to beat Nadal? Or do they have a shot to? Or do you think Nadal's just going to win? Uh, you're talking about the quarter in general, the ma- uh, the match. Quarter in general, because Nadal's oh, yeah. playing Kubler. I think we're in agreement. Nadal's going to win in three, four max. Uh, yeah. So I think you actually you got a great pick at the plus at uh, twelve to one with Taylor Fritz. I think he's still he's still alive to win the to win the quarter. I, I bought in when he won the tournament. He was awful on grass to start the year, and I know that he was good in the past. But he had a nice win against uh, Cressy Cress- in the final. And he had his best serving performance, arguably, of all time in that match. And I rode the momentum. And once again, I didn't cash anything because I expected him to play Nadal at some point. But I think Fritz has a shot. I think he still has a shot, even even though it's looking like he's going to play Nadal. He hasn't dropped the set yet. He's just off a win at Eastbourne. He's beaten Nadal this year, uh, and I think he, he has a shot to beat him again. Uh, and when it comes to the matchups that we have, uh, tomorrow in the fourth round, uh, I think Nadal and Fritz are gonna roll on through. But when it comes to that quarterfinal matchup, I think I think you're live to cash that twelve to one. Yeah, I realize I actually misspoke. Nadal's playing against Van der Schlup and Fritz right. is playing against Kubler. So my bad. I misspoke there. I think I think Van der Schlup can actually take a set off Nadal. I think he's gonna make it difficult because from what we've seen, Van der Schlup's been underrated for pretty much the entire year ever since he made the uh, a deep run in the U.S. Open last year. I think Vanderschlup can keep it close. I'm not picking him to win the match. But I do think Fritz and Kubler could go four. Kubler's been very solid. But I think Fritz's serve and forehand will be too much at some point for Kubler to deal with. So I misspoke there. My bad. But at the end of the day, I still like Nadal taking on Fritz in that quarterfinal matchup. Now, That's all right. I'll give you one. Yeah, I said Tommy Paul instead of Richthofen before. So we're even on that. Okay. I, pre- I appreciate good. you giving me that. Now, yeah, no problem. Just to go through the actual outrights, those were the quarter breakdowns, and Djokovic now is at minus 200. He was originally at around minus 120. I can't say I'm surprised Djokovic after round one has been his classic Djokovic on grass self, as he's looked dominant up to this point. I mean, he was minus 5,000 against a ranked player, and Kekmanovic got absolutely just destroyed. He lost the first set 6-0, wasn't even close. Uh, Nadal's now down to plus 500. 
Kyrgios is eight to one. Alcaraz is ten to one. And then you start to see a ramp up in odds. Fritz is thirty to one. Uh, Demenauer's thirty-five to one. Norrie's forty to one. Do you have any value on anybody in particular that's a long shot? Are you looking at Tommy Paul at hundred to one? Sinner maybe at sixty-five to one? Or do you just think it's either going to be Djokovic or Nadal or realistically Djokovic? But is there anybody else that you're interested in? I got one guy that I think has good value in this tournament. His name is Novak Djokovic, minus 200. I don't think it matters. <laughs> I mean, Novak has been clearly the best player on grass. He's won it the past three years. He's He's been looking like a, his class act self that he is on Wimbledon grass. He has no Berrettini to face up. He's facing up against Nadal or Fritz or Kyrgios. I mean, it's all, it's all Novak. Well, I was kind of curious, though, if you did think there was another person besides Novak that might be worth a shot because from what I've seen, now, once again, I'm not going to suddenly panic on Novak because he was our pick before the tournament and he's looked as good as advertised. And Alcaraz is supposed to play him in the quarters if that's how it lines up. Alcaraz has looked really, really good. And mm-hmm. I am curious if you think 10 to 1 is a fair price, if you think it's too high or too low. I think if you want to go for an argument based on the overall schedule, I don't mind Fritz at 30 to 1. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he can potentially make a final, which is definitely, of course, a step in the right direction if you want to hedge in the final. Do you think there's any value on Alcaraz at 10 to 1? Because I'm not saying he's going to beat Djokovic, but based on what I've seen up to this point, I think that he should have similar odds to Kyrgios. I get it, Kyrgios's region's a lot easier than Alcaraz's, which might explain the actual price differential. But has Alcaraz looked like the third best player in this tournament so far behind Nadal and Djokovic? I think he's, it looks like the second best player in this tournament, even better than Nadal. Um, he surprised us on how he can perform on grass. 10 to 1, he has to get through Djokovic, and then he has to go again against someone tough, Nadal, Kyrgios, something like that. Um, I can't I can't do it. Maybe 15 to 1 on Alcaraz, I think, is more fair than 10 to 1. Okay. If you're really trying to push for something, I, I like I said before, I think Fritz has a shot over Nadal. So I would, I would take Fritz at 30 to 1 and probably hedge against Djokovic. Uh, I think that's the best bet and best route that you have here because you take a guy like Alcaraz, he has to play two hard matches against Djokovic back-to-back and somebody else. So uh, I wouldn't go with Alcaraz here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was just curious because, of course, I'm a little bit paranoid with Djokovic at minus 300 to win the quarter. So I was kind of curious if you thought there was any chance. I'm not saying that Djokovic is going to roll, but I, I do think Alcaraz can make it an interesting match or at least give more resistance than what we've seen up to this point for Djokovic. But if, if Alcaraz, I'll tell you something. If Alcaraz beats Djokovic at the end of this quarter, you're watching history. You're watching this young gun come in and beat the GOAT, well, in my opinion, the GOAT, you know, people say Nadal, people say Federer, but... I think Federer at this point is three. safely... I think Federer at this point safely in third place, in my opinion. Uh, fair but. enough, he's not even playing anymore, but uh, you, you're watching this young gun come in and beat Novak Djokovic. Um, I, I, you just, you just got to hang tight with Djokovic here. You would be watching history if that would happen. And yep, if, you're, if you're watching history, you can't really complain. It's just a cooler. Yeah, that's definitely true. Cooler is the word that uh, the key buzzword that we're going to use there. But now we're going to transition and talk a little bit about the actual matchups in the fourth round. And I was kind of curious what the actual process of us going through them were 
because there's not many matches. We could hypothetically go through them all, but I think we're just going to go through our, our somewhat, uh, I'd say, favorites or some matches we're intrigued by the key matchup, so to speak. So I'm going to start off with the one matchup involving the player that we just mentioned with the youngster Alcaraz taking on Sinner. And Alcaraz is currently around minus, one, uh, minus 280 on the money line. If you want to look at the actual spreads, uh, Alcaraz is around minus 4.5, 3.5s at minus 150, 4.5 is minus 115. You have any thoughts on this particular match? Do you think Sinner can keep it close? We know he looked dominant against Isner, but Alcaraz looked insane against a much better player in Atta. You look at the head-to-head, Alcaraz has fared pretty well. Do you think Sinner takes more than one set in this match? Or do you think Alcaraz kind of just rolls? It's just funny to hear you say he's been good against Isner. Do you think he's going to be good against Alcaraz? Because those two players are completely different guys. Probably I'm just going by the last matchup. I know, I know, I know. I'm going by. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I think Sinner only can be get one set on this one. Uh, in my opinion, he hasn't looked so good. I watched him play against Solarenka and Yimmer. Uh, he did win both of those matches uh, in four sets and lost to Tommy Paul and Eastbourne. I think Alcaraz, he's, he, he beat Atta so badly at 6-3, 6-1, that I'm just I'm impressed, and I think he's going to continue this performance against Sinner. And we like uh, Atta. We thought Atta, if you were going for a long shot in the region, which we thought had no chance of cashing, but Atta was our pick for like a 30-something to 140-to-something shot because we thought that he was a very good player on grass, and Alcaraz made a joke of the situation. Alcaraz just crushed him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that's, that's why it's, it's so surprising to see how he's doing. He won five against Struff. Struff's a big server. I can understand it. Center's a really bad matchup. I mean, Alcaraz is a really bad matchup for center because he's the guy that keeps that ball in play and he could rally to no end. So I, I don't think center's going to fare well against him. Uh, for talking in terms of bets, you could see Alcaraz destroy him here, maybe 3 nothing at plus 125, but I really see no value doing that. We haven't seen Alcaraz really play a good season of grass court tennis. We have seen him play good matches here, one or two good matches, Greek Sport and Atta, but we have nothing really to back up if Alcaraz can be able to pull through against an opponent opponent like Sinner. So I'm not sure there's so much value on Alcaraz there, but I also wouldn't put anything on Sinner either. Yeah, well, just to break down the actual, uh, I'd say, bets that we are tempted by, because I think we're on the same page for this match. Do you prefer Alcaraz minus three and a half games at minus 150? Alcaraz minus four and a half games at minus 110? Or do you prefer... Alcaraz minus one and a half sets at minus one seventy five. Um, you said four and a half at ten minus one ten, right? Uh, yes. That's what I would go for. Yeah, if if he's going to destroy him, he's going to destroy him. I wouldn't really hold back. You know, there's always that. Uh, I won't hold back in case there's a tie break here. He's just not that player. So I wouldn't go for a minus one and a half set and lay and have to face that juice of minus one seventy. I would just go full force into it. You think Alcaraz is going to win? You think he's going to destroy him? Go for that four and a half. There's no value any other place. Yep, I agree. The issue with Sinner for me is I don't think he's a good enough server. Yeah, and Alcaraz. Exactly right. Has had issues serving, but so far on grass, he actually has dialed it up a little bit. The ace counters have been a lot higher than what we're accustomed to with Alcaraz. So I think the server is going to be the story. I think Alcaraz should put a lot of pressure into center service games, and I think Mm -hmm. that's going to be the story of the match over the course of these most likely three or four sets. But is there a match you're interested in? I kind of just picked a random one with Alcaraz center because that's one of the, I'd say, most fun 
matchups based on the seeding and based on the future upside of those next-gen stars. Do you want to talk about a particular match? Uh, I like every match tomorrow. I think all of them are interesting. You have That's Goku a very dangerous Chiapa. thing to say, but I respect it. Not in terms of betting, just to, uh, for watching oh, and okay. seeing what happens in the results. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you have a guy, you have a Tiafo and Gofin, which you have a consistent veteran like Gofin versus Tiafo, who's volatile and, but could play on a different level. And to really see who comes out the victor on that will be very interesting and fun to watch as long as, you know, Tiafo doesn't break down and quit or something. Uh, and then you have Cameron Nori and, T- and Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul he hasn't dropped a set. He's been playing very, very well. But you have Cameron Norrie who's been so consistent that he could pull off a win here and move on to the quarterfinals uh, without a problem. And then you have what we just broke down, Sinner Alcaraz. Alcaraz, you know, a up-and-coming star. And to see if he could get through an opponent like Sinner, which I think he, he will. Um, but, you know, that's to be decided tomorrow. And then you have Djokovic's Van Richthofen. Van Richthofen's also looked fantastic. He's been doing very well on his serves. He's been able to rally with the best of them. Um, showed uh, in, in the Netherlands against Medvedev. Uh, you know, Djokovic has been able to destroy everybody else. But the real question is, is not if Djokovic is going to lose to Van Richthofen. Is Van Richthofen going to cover the spread? Is Van Richthofen going to hit the over pretty much on the match? And that's what really is interesting and makes it interesting. Uh, can he rally with Djokovic? And we'll see tomorrow. For the record, the uh, Van Richthofen spread is plus seven and a half at minus 125. Right. So, Over-unders and- at around 30 and a half. Right. Yeah. So you got to see really a tie break in there. Pretty if much. Djokovic is yeah. going to win three nothing, which you know is likely. It's a tough matchup for Van Richthofen, obviously. So yeah, we'll see tomorrow. I would probably, if I'm breaking down that match, go with I. I would go with the over actually, or the plus seven and a half. On I think Richthofen. I like the plus seven and a half. I think that he's a good enough server to force at least a couple of six four sets. Exactly. Right. 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 And you see. You know, he Djokovic was be, was able to destroy Kishmanovic early, but he did get broken later on in the third set. He's also uh, a terrible grass court player. I mean, Kishmanovic is is not good at all on grass. So I, once again, Van Rithoven's a lot more comfortable on the surface than Djokovic's opponents over the last couple of rounds. Right, yeah, and I, I'll trust Van Richthofen to maybe even um, force a tie break in there. So I, yeah, I like that over on on that play, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I do want to ask, since we are going through some random matches here instead of going through all of them, is there a serious long shot? Let's say anywhere above plus 250. Is there a player that you're tempted by to quote-unquote shock the world and pull off an upset? Uh, the one guy that I would like to do that would be, I would have to take an alternative, not just a money line, but I like Tommy Paul. Uh, I think that he has the ability to take over the match. I think he has the ability to out rally Cameron Nori. And I would have to take something like a minus one and a half set here with Tommy Paul. Uh, he's a plus 150 on the money line, I see. So uh, we'd have to take something alternative. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. But, uh, Paul to win. Minus one and a half sets is plus two twenty-five. <sighs> I'll, gi- I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. That's good enough. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's who I like to make a run. And I think if Tommy Paul could win this match, like I said before, he'll make it to the court, he'll make it to the semifinal. I think he could get through Tiafo or Gofin, and it'd be interesting to see an American there. 
one of the, the last four guys in Wimbledon. I don't know the last time that happened. Maybe Query. I was going to say Query was back. the last one in the semis, yeah. but even before that Query run, you had that ridiculous Isner semifinal <laughs> match against Anderson. Right. where he lost with about 50 games in the fifth set, which, of course, resulted in Anderson eventually losing to Djokovic in the final handily. But uh, there has been a couple of Americans, usually big servers. So seeing a Tommy Paul there would be a change of pace, despite the nationality, because of the fact that Paul is not a guy who's going to get you 40-something pieces in any given match. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's definitely a solid choice if you think that he can get past the home crowd with Nori and really just outplay him. I think that Paul could win the match. One and a half sets is dicey. I think it could go five. But mm-hmm. I definitely understand your point based on how well Tommy Paul is playing. If I was going for a serious long shot, once again, I'm not picking this to happen. <laughs> I think Van der Schlup has a shot against Nadal. I think he's got a shot. I'm just saying. Nadal's looked good. At the end of the third set against Sonigo, he did get broken. He broke right back after that. But it seemed like Sonigo was really frustrating him. There was a little bit of an altercation at the net. Uh, I believe Nadal was complaining about Sonigo's grunting, which is kind of ironic (laughs) because Nadal's been grunting his entire career. But I do think that Van der Schlup is a good enough player to at least make Nadal work for it. And I do think that if you're looking at trying to fade one of the big three, or the big two in this case, because of course Federer is no longer playing at this point in time. I think if you're looking at odds, I get Nadal is automatically like, oh, he's clearly going to win. I mean, you're giving me basically five to one. Mm -hmm. I think Vanderschlup's good enough to at least win a set. And if you want to test out the injury situation, Vanderschlup can maybe make Nadal work for it, and we'll, we'll play our cards from there. But if you want my super long shot, which once again, I don't feel great about cashing, but I think he could potentially give you a nice live hedge. I think Van der Schlup could win one of the first two sets and suddenly you have a match on your hands. You? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think he has the capability of definitely winning uh, a set in this match and then maybe taking it from there. He's Nadal's led up a set to Serendolo, who's not a grass court player and by any means. And then Ricardus Barrancas, who, you know, is a old veteran, I guess, type of player, not really a grass court player either. Uh, so you never know. Zanishlup is better than both of those guys. So uh, if you're going for a money line on a big a big plus money, big underdog, I got to agree with that with Zanishlup. Plus, he ended up beating Barankas in four sets. He was trailing by a break in the second set. He came back and won, but he almost lost two sets there. I believe he was down either 3-1 or 3-0 in that second set before coming back and winning that set 6-4. So Nadal has looked good. He's dropped two sets so far, but he's been a bit vulnerable. And I think that Van der a good enough player, or at least a fundamentally sound enough player, to give Nadal some potential issues. But... Sam, we're going to take one more break, and then we're going to talk about our favorite plays for the fourth round. SGPN also just relaunched its merch store. Tons of awesome gear from your favorite SGPN shows. Just go to store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com. That's store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com. We're also brought to you by Dave. We've all been in a situation at some point in our lives where we were a little bit tight on cash. Maybe you can only afford to put a few gallons of gas in your tank, or maybe you got another save the date and you're wondering how you're going to afford a gift. That is where Dave can help you. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, 
or catch up on bills. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDI. Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode does not actually protect your privacy? That's right. Without added security, you might as well give away all your private information to hackers, advertisers, your ISP, and other prying eyes. That's why I use IP Vanish VPN to make it easy to stay truly private and secure on the internet. IP Vanish helps you safely browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. That means all your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. IP Vanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. You can use IP Vanish on unlimited devices without sacrificing speed, on computers, tablets, phones, even fire stick devices while streaming media. Whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vanish. Plus, IP Vanish has a great deal in place. It's offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee that's just like getting nine months absolutely free. IP Vanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you stream, everything you search for, and everything you buy. Take your privacy back with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com slash SGP and use promotional code SGP and claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash SGP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. And now it's a lot of people's favorite part of the show. At least it's time for it. It's going to be the Lock and Dog segment. We go through our favorite play, usually a favorite in the Lock segment, and then we give out our, our favorite plus price dog that has a lot of value. Sam, I'm going to let you go first. What is your Lock first and then your dog? All right. So I think my Lock this type this time around is going to be Ostapenko. No, I'm just kidding. Not Ostapenko. We're not going there. I kind of uh, respect it, though, if you'd go off. <laughs> No, I wasn't going to go there uh, after breaking down all those uh, bets in the ATP past. matches? Yeah. Yeah, ATP, regular men's tennis singles. Uh, I like a Kyrgios and an Alcaraz Moneyline Parlay. I know it's a little bit different, but uh, with the, those parlayed, you get around a minus 110. Both of those guys I don't see losing. I well, hang on a second. I got to check the ruling. Got to talk with the judges. Oh, okay, two, two, uh, two pick parlays allowed. You are allowed to do that. You got the... Okay. Deal. Yes. We're good. Okay. All right. Okay, so yeah, that, those are the two guys I don't think are going to be losing. Uh, barring an injury, Alcaraz is a much better player than Yannick Sinner right now. He's been performing very, very well. A very uh, On another level than Yannick Sinner has been, uh, it doesn't matter what surface, but on grass especially, uh, beating Atta with, uh, what was it, 6 It was a bloodbath. It was, it was a bloodbath. Blood, yeah, he destroyed him. Uh, I just think Alcaraz should take over the match. Uh, I'm a little hesitant with the spread because we're not sure. I'm not exactly sure yet if he's going to be able to handle an opponent like Sinner. He's a little bit better than Atta, but I think he'll definitely come through in the match. And then looking at Nakashima, Kyrgios. Kyrgios has been absolutely on fire. You know, I think the least of Kyrgios out of everyone, but uh, he's been serving very, very, very well. He's been 
rallying very, very, very well. I think he really does have a chance to really do something special in this tournament and make a final for the first time in his career. And I like those two parlayed for a minus 110 price. Does it make you laugh at all that every now and then, especially when he makes a deep run, the media, Twitter, everybody it has, has an outrage for Kyrgios. Like, he's ruining the sport. I can't believe he's doing it. Like, have you not been watching him the last seven years? Like, why are you surprised by any of this? I'm with the media, honestly. I think Kyrgios It's not about is... the media reaction. It's about, like, the immediate, like, level of outrage. Like, the volume of outrage. Like How now, is he doing yeah. this? Have you not been following him since he came into the actual league, the organization? Yeah. This has been him for his entire career. Why are you surprised? Yeah, it's a joke. It's it sounds like the regular media and right now, which you know we're not going to get into, but they're just making out. They're just trying to you know put fire, put gas on the flame, try to fuel the fire, whatever it can to try to pick up viewership. He's been doing the same thing for years and years and years and years now. You're definitely right. There's nothing new here. Absolutely nothing new here. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a big connection to it, so I, I just find it amusing. I, I know that if you actually watch the matches, Kyrgios matches are really a, they're a grind to go through. Not because of the lack of entertainment, but because of the constant berating. And you know that it's going to happen. I still find Kyrgios entertaining. I think he's a great tennis player. I know that you're 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 you reached a tipping point where you used to think it was entertaining, and now you find it annoying. I can oh, understand yeah. that argument whatever, but you know going in, there's going to be theatrics. You're going to hear him yell at the chair. That's how it's going to go, but it gets him going, and that's how he's been able to be successful at this stage in his career. Now, you could argue he should be more successful, winning more titles, maybe even a Grand Slam event, but he seems to be the kind of guy that likes to yell at either the fans or the chair umpire as a way of motivating or inspiring himself to keep a competitive fire going. But either way, you gave out the two-pick parlay as your lock. Do you have a dog that you like, or are you going to go back to Tommy Paul? Um, uh, yeah, I like, to- I like Tommy Paul. That's, that's my dog for this one. I think it's really a coin flip match. I think Tommy Paul's been playing very, very well. He's been rallying extremely well. Hasn't lost a set. Destroyed VC, who was doing well in the earlier rounds. And you have a guy like Cameron Nori, who won five against Munar, who is in no way a grass court no. player. Clay specialist. Uh, yeah, he's a clay specialist, right? He doesn't really play grass at all. So, yeah, I think Tommy Paul at this plus 150 is good value for a match that really should be more of a coin flip. Yeah, that's definitely fair. But now to go through my lock, I'm going to go also to that Alcaraz center match. I wanted to pick something different, but I really just can't avoid it. I like center. I think he's a very good player, but the serve is not where it needs to be to deal with a returner like Alcaraz who can find ways to win points that I'd say 98% of the world cannot win. You can look at Djokovic, you can look at Nadal, and even Alcaraz at times, and they'll be able to force you to hit an extra three, four shots, and suddenly it's an insane passing shot, and he wins. We saw it happen in the tiebreak against Struff in that fourth set, and we've seen it time and time again. I think Alcaraz will do enough to make something out of nothing on points that he needs to have. I think that's going to add up. And I'm going to take Alcaraz minus four and a half games here against Sinner. I just think that you might end up seeing a 6-2 set in here. 
Alcaraz is serving was the concern. So far on grass, he's up the ace number. He's up to the overall just hold percentage. And Sinner is a very solid overall player, but he doesn't really wow you in anything. I think he's a very sturdy player in a variety of areas. Alcaraz, I think, is sturdy and he can wow you. And I think that he'll do enough to win a one set at least handily. I think you'll see at least one 6-3 set, maybe a 6-2 set. Hell, I mean, he swept Atta in a set, which is insane because Atta's a great server. I'm going Alcaraz minus four and a half. Even if it goes four sets, I think he's got a decent shot to cover this. But I like Sinner. It's not his time. I think Alcaraz is just a much better player. Yeah, I think that you'll see a lot of breaks in this match. Both of these players have only had, uh, well, Alcaraz had two two tie breaks, and Sinner has only had one tie break this entire tournament. So and that was against Isner, of course, and one tie break against Isner is actually low. Yeah, that means nothing. Yeah, yeah. right. It's just that's a that's an everyday occurrence when you're playing someone. I'm saying it should be like three if you're, if you're against <laughs> exactly. Isner, but instead it was just one. But yeah, give me Alcaraz minus four and a half games. I think he's going to do very well in that spot. And for my dog. It's going to be controversial because it's going to fade your parlay. I'm going Nakashima. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it. And I'm looking at around plus 270. And first of all, Kyrgios should win the match. He should. I'm not going to tell you that this line is mispriced. I'm not going to tell you that I think Nakashima is the better player than Kyrgios. However, I have seen time and time again Kyrgios has a huge emotional win against a top five player. And next thing you know, he comes out and he shits the bet. I've seen it time and time again. We just saw with Isner. It's not the same because Sinner's much better than Andy Murray at this stage in their careers. But Isner beats Murray for the first time in his career in 10 attempts. And then he gets absolutely ragdolled against Sinner. I think it's a similar story. I think Kyrgios is going to once again find himself in some difficult uh, games, difficult sets, and I think he might self-destruct. And from what I saw with Nakashima, he's an underrated server that was able to even overwhelm Shapo at times in that second round match. And I do think that uh, Nakashima could do enough to at least force Kyrgios into a very tough win. So for me, I'm going to go with Nakashima at plus 270. You're talking about Kyrgios finding a way to overcome the theatrics and all the beratement. I think it might come back to bite him. But Nakashima's a guy I've had my eye on for a couple of years. I think he's going to be very good, and he's looked very comfortable. Give me Nakashima at plus 270. Listen, it's not a bad time to pick Nakashima. I'm fully in on Kyrgios. I'm not going back. I'm not switching up here, but just a little background. I do not like Kyrgios when it comes to him. It's my least favorite player. I don't like him as a player as a whole, but I'm not dissecting the person's history and his career. I'm talking about this tournament. I think he's playing very well, but I think Kyrgios, um, I'm, I'm so low on Kyrgios that I, I swore, I said, I'm not going to pick Kyrgios anymore. You know, he's so volatile, but, and then the last time I picked him, last time I picked him was, uh, I believe it was the last week or two weeks ago when he played Mallorca, Spain. I picked him to win a tournament. I go, you know what? You know, it's Kyrgios' time. He's going to win a tournament. I don't like him. I think, you know, he's so volatile. He's ashamed to the game because he throws away his, his, uh, uh, performances and his ability. He plays one match, withdraws from the tournament. A perfect way to let me lose the bet 
instead of voiding my bets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now that I'm back on the Kyrgyz train, might not be a bad move to be on Nakashima, but that's just, you know, that's just uh, me thinking that it, it, it's superstition, really. I'm going to play the percentages. I think you're going to have at least two tiebreakers in this match. So I'll take the guy that's been reliable, quiet, and a guy who I think might be undervalued. And he might just watch Kyrgios implode if something goes poorly. So I don't know. I don't think. I think this might be a good run for Kyrgios. Even I think it might be. Once again, like I'm, I'm, I'm taking a swing here. With that's why we call it the lock and dog. The dog is where you're supposed to take the swings. But I also have some leeway to take swings because in the first episode, the inaugural episode, I went five and three for plus five point zero one units. So I can take a swing at around plus two seventy. But I got it. I mean, for the locks on the last show were my favorite plays. I went four and one. For the dogs, I went one and two. But I did hit Lahovich money line and both players to win a set against Karenya Busta. And that ended up working out because Karenya Busta lost the second set and immediately retired. So the last <laughs> point that won me the bet, he quit. But I also had Sock in the doubles match with Kudla at plus two at plus one sixty, and he won in straight sets. So. That's one of the luxuries of having a good first day or a good first show. You can take bigger swings because you can afford to, I'd say, lose because you're still up about five units on the tournament. But either way, uh, that's been this episode, episode two of the Wimbledon uh, breakdown for the Tennis Gambling Podcast with the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Sam, uh, you have any final words before we wrap up? Have a good happy 4th of July, everybody. Um, take a look at Joey Chestnut under. He's on crutches. but uh, That's hot dog this- eating contest for you, for everybody who's international, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, maybe we'll be back before the end of this tournament. Maybe we'll be bre- breaking down the final. I guess we're going to see. But oh, no, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we could have as many episodes as we want realistically. We kind of had to take a break for a couple days because I ended up traveling. So I had some scheduling stuff I had to take care of. I'm assuming we'll be back by either the quarters or the semis. If I had to guess, that's probably going to be the schedule moving forward. But either way, uh, yeah, I know, Sam, you don't have much social media to uh, plug. So I'm making one. I'm making one. You're making one. But Stay your advice here, take the under on hot dogs with Joey Chestnut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a side note. Yeah, yeah. That's a side note? That's a sidebar? Okay. Uh, and for me, you can find me on Twitter at Reichel Radio, R-E-I-C-H-E-L Radio. Besides that, of course, I was on a couple of NBA podcasts or free agency this past week, and I'm looking forward to breaking down more tennis over the course of the uh, last couple of rounds of Wimbledon. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. 